Welcome to this week's podcast from Faith Christian Church. For more details, check out faithcc.com.au. We hope you enjoy this message. Happy Father's Day to all the dads in the house. And uh, listen, we've got something special here this morning. We're going to invite a couple of our uh, young dads just to come up and share about their journey in life and the inspiration that their dads have been upon them and then their sense of responsibility to be the inspiration for their kids that have been born over the last few years. And so it's my great honor. You know, the thing I love about our church, so many different stories behind the scenes of people that they're just their journey with God, you know. So we're going to hear some of those stories this morning. It's going to be fantastic. So the first one we're going to hear from is Johnny Russ. Johnny and Rose are just a wonderful couple in our church. And then Pastor Andrew Groves is going to come after that. So let's give Johnny a great hand as he comes up this morning. Morning, everyone. Um, happy Father's Day to all the dads. Um, happy Father's Day to my dad over there. Everyone wave. That's my dad, my mum, my sister Vicky, and my sister Jessica next to them. There you go. So he is John, and I am John, and that boy there next to my beautiful wife, Rose, is John, and his dad is John. So John, 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 John. So we have the name, the name's pretty similar, well, almost exact, which is, um, <clears throat> but we're not exactly uh, alike in some ways. He loves Melbourne City and he loves soccer or football, right? Who loves soccer? I'm going to say. Well, I don't really like it. I like NRL. For some reason, I gravitated towards that. He pretends he does, which is nice, and I used to try to pretend I like soccer, and I don't really. So um, that's another thing. Um, what I have found that as I get older, I'm starting to pick up little things that he did when I was young that I thought were pretty embarrassing and a bit weird, like use a knife for a screwdriver and try to fix anything. Don't buy anything, fix it with rope or wire. We uh, got a dog and instead of buying a long line like a proper leash, I just found an old winch cable and I'm just walking in the door with a 20-meter winch cable. And my sister Jessica said, Johnny, you know you're being exactly just like Dad. That's exactly what he would have done. So he is um, the nicest person I know. And anybody that knows him knows that. Um, they say, oh, I know your dad. He's really nice. He's very kind. And for some reason growing up, I always thought that was a bit of a weakness. I always wanted the tough, macho dad. But the older I get, the more I honor that and the more I think I want to be just like that. I love you, Dad. Happy Father's Day. All right. So today... I want to talk about um, legacy and uh, the intentional and unintentional legacy that he has left for me and for my, my boys. Now, I, um, I found a little quote. I don't know who it's by, but it's pretty good, and it spoke to me, so hopefully um, you guys can make sense of it and how it links to this. So it says, The lens of legacy gives you a view of your life from a generational perspective where you become aware of the desire to live beyond yourself focused on making a difference in the lives of others and giving back. The legacy you leave is the life you lead, and therefore, legacy is the residue of a life well lived. Creating your legacy is a pathway resulting in a deep sense of significance, where true meaning is found somewhere beyond the pursuit of success, which results in a ripple effect that positively impacts society, or positively impacts my life, the lives of my kids and my sisters. So... My dad grew up in Romania um, at a time when he was under the communist regime. Nicola Ceausescu was the, the dictator, and he was one of the worst uh, communist um, regimes in Europe at the time. There was obviously Ra Russia, Yugoslavia, but Romania, for some reason, 
it was really well hidden. From the outside, it look, didn't look that bad, um, but they were pretty much um, under the most tightest conditions in terms of food rationing, um, fuel rationing, electricity. Um, there'd be secret people or securitate or uh, secret police in amongst churches, um, in amongst shopping centers. Um, if anybody ever thought about speaking up against, people would just go missing. Um, so that's, that's the conditions he grew up in. He grew up in the northern part of Romania in an area called Bistrița Nesawud, in a town called Pav- Parva. It's pretty much on the foothills of sort of the east of the Carpathian Ranges. And um, he grew up with, his, his dad would go away and work at the mines um, and come back uh, on and off. And he grew up with his mother and his sister and his two brothers. Now, um, his dad officially left when he was a kid, so he grew up uh, without a dad. And um, uh, he was, his dad was a very big alcoholic and a very bad drunk. So um, eventually he ended up meeting his grandfather, or John, ended up meeting uh, the Lord through a funny story. So he, my dad's grandpa, so hopefully you can hang around. Um, my dad's grandpa, I don't know what his name was, but uh, he had seven brothers. And they were, they were pretty awful, again, alcoholics, and they would beat up people just for the fun of it, pretty much to death. And they had a stepmother who they would beat up as well. Obviously, when they're drinking, they're doing crazy stuff. So she ended up putting a spell on them, a curse on them, saying that none of these people, none of these boys will live past the age of 50. So as they neared 50, got to 50, they all died before 50. There were six of them. My great-grandfather ended up becoming a Christian through, somehow, becoming a Christian, 48, 49, 50, 51, 52, 53, 54, 55, all the way, lived past 80. So my grandpa, again, coming from the mines, moving into, uh, moving into the city, he became a Christian through his dad and then got involved in the local church. So he got involved in building the local church, being a part of the local church, and then he came back to the village where my dad was with his brother's sister and his, and his mum, and he pretty much asked forgiveness and said, if any of you guys want to come live in the city with me, the city was completely different to the villages. The villages were proper, shepherd, like he, my dad shepherded sheep, from a young age, and cousins still do it and stuff. So, so he said, if anybody wants to leave the village and come to the city, you can live with me, my new wife. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll help you get to school. I'll get you involved in church and stuff, but just come. Everybody but my dad said no. So obviously they were very um, attached to the mother because the mother raised them. So my dad said, you know what, I'm going to take this chance, leave, leave this village and go to the city. Ended up going to the city, get involved in the church, gave his life to Christ. Within the church, rumors in the sort of mid-80s, rumors started spreading that people started leaving Romania. They would risk it. They'd say, oh, I think if you go this way, you can get around and you can cross into Yugoslavia. Once you get to Yugoslavia, I think this person did it. They would hear stories of people dying on the way, getting, getting in prison, getting shot. And my dad said, you know what? I'm sick of this. By then, the communist regime got very tight because Ceausescu started losing grip of, I guess, the country. So he's, he found somebody who... Um, was, I guess, brave enough as him to, to leave the country. So they, my dad got married to my mum two weeks later, or two or three weeks later, he said to my mum, oh, by the way, thanks for marrying me, but I'm going to escape. And my mum was like, what are you talking about? Like, we just got married. So, my, so he couldn't tell her anything really because uh, they would find her. And um, they, she, he ended up running down, like running sort of south of Romania, across the, along the border of Yugoslavia, getting into Yugoslavia in a concentration camp, and then... Um, he uh, got his papers and then they said, all right, you're a legitimate refugee, where do you want to go? So the guy that my dad ran with, he ended up going to America 
And my dad said, I'm going to go to Australia because there's kangaroos and this guy in Sydney, um, I got one postcard of this guy who lives in Sydney. So he's like, all right. So he ended up coming here and settling into Dandenong. So at that time, more Romanians started coming over. There was obviously some already here. And they, they, um, uh, there was a Romanian church in Belgrave called Bush. Now, it's called Bush because it was in the bush. But <laughs> I, didn't, I never knew the name of the church. We always called it Bush. Oh, we're going to go to Bush. All right, let's go to Bush. I found out that it's near Pastor Mark and Bernie's house. So I drive past and remember my childhood. But when I was... So before I was nine, my dad, um, again, through, through words, uh, sort of whispers in the church, he heard about this place in Dandenong, an English church. He's like, oh, you know, there's this lady with big red hair. I don't know if you remember Pastor Rosanna Davies. Big red hair and a guitar with no guitar head, one of those things. Um, there's, um, uh, there, there's a pastor there called Pastor Allen. He preaches messages. There's drums. There's music. You know, ladies can wear dresses. They, they actually sit together. And my dad's like, that's something that... That he went, you know what, that, that's, so by now we, he had kids, so he was like, that's, that's something that I reckon my kids would like, and my kids would actually grow into, and, and stick to when they turn, when they get older. So he slowly started coming here, and then one day he just said, you know what, we're officially going to come here. So we left the Romanian church, and I was nine when we started coming here. I remember being at kids' church, and just like when he was in the church, he got involved, he got involved here. And I remember watching him play guitar up on stage, go to connect groups, we would go to meetings like Tuesday night, Wednesday night, sometimes Thursday night, Friday night, Saturday night at church and Sundays. And not once, and there was four, four kids and all different things. And not once did my dad ever say, oh, I don't want to take you there. What do you mean you have to go again? He said, get in the car, we're going. So we got involved. And as I got involved, you know, became involved in kids' church, youth, young adults, and just through the life of the church. And then eventually I met my wife, Rose. So, hello, Rose. Yeah. And... Um, and then now we've got two kids. So we've got Johnny and Billy. So I guess what, what I want to show my boys as they get older is that the legacy that my dad's passed on to me in terms of being in church, um, being in church life, being around, raising, raising the kids up here, that's something that I want to show them. I want to show them that the way you do life is you obviously have your job and you've got your friends outside and stuff, but church is a big part of our life. And the reason I am today, the reason I have the friends I have, the reason I've been, even been asked to be up here for 10 minutes, the reason why um, I know lovely people, my family is best, is because we were raised in this church and we were literally raised in the church. Like, it wasn't a, it was, it was a non-negotiable non going to church. Now, that challenges some people because they obviously have busy weekends and whatnot. But for us, that was something we just did and we'll always do. And the kids will come early and leave late. And you'll see them running around and probably thinking, who's that kid running around? But that's them, and that's going to be their story and the legacy that I pass down to them. So, so I guess I, I have to thank my great-grandfather for meeting Christ, getting that curse lifted. Then I have to thank my grandfather for going, you know what, I'm going to come to Christ after all the things he did, invite my dad to move to the city. Then I have to thank my dad for going there and saying, you know what, even though I never knew my dad, he was never there, I'm going to accept his offer of bringing me into the city for a better life. And then I have to thank, and then, so I thank him. Then I'm here, and then obviously, hopefully one day, my boys thank me for saying, you know what, Dad, thanks for being around church. Thanks for um, introducing me to my future wife, um, to my friends, and to the calling that God has for them. So um, I guess that's a legacy my dad's passed on to me. And if I can encourage anyone in that, it's 
Um, my dad did all that because he loved me. He loved my sisters. He loved my mom, um, loves the grandkids. How much more does Jesus do for us? Because he loved us so much, he died on the cross for us. So I guess thanks, Dad, and thanks, everyone, for um, listening. It's great stuff, Johnny. Smash it, mate. Well, um, thank you. Uh, our, our stories have some similarities, and we'll, we'll mention those in, in a moment. I've been asked to, to talk about legacy. Legacy is a very interesting word. It's quite fascinating. Um, if you were to Google legacy, you would come across uh, a couple of different definitions. Uh, one of them, sort of the more traditional one, is uh, money or property left to a person by someone who has died. I'm not too sure about the dying part, but I like the other part. That's, uh, that's quite nice. Uh, Oftentimes today, we talk about it in far more broader terms. If you were to keep Googling, you would come across a definition that looks something like this. Legacy, a situation that is developed as a result of past actions and decisions. And we use that quite a lot in our day and age to talk about the legacy that is left in the wake of someone's life or possibly, a, you know, a politician in terms of uh, their, their office and, and their time spent there or uh, the leader of an organisation. Uh, they leave a legacy. Their past actions and decisions leave an impact on those that come after them. Not like come after them, like those people who are, you know, around them. And... It's very true of dads, very true of fathers, very true of, of anyone in a position of influence, but especially because today is Father's Day, it is very true of dads. The decisions and actions of a dad has an impact on the lives of their children and their children's children. And it happens in uh, large ways with big decisions. Uh, my, my dad, like Johnny's, uh, is an immigrant. Uh, him and my mum came also from Romania. Uh, 41 years ago, in the late 70s, 28-year-old uh, George Groza and 21-year-old Mary with their three-month-old baby boy, uh, not me, that's my uh, less intelligent, less attractive elder brother. Um, <laughs> don't tell him I said that, I'm still afraid of him. Uh, they left Romania... They left what was familiar to them. They left their family, their friends to come to a foreign land with foreign food and foreign customs. They came to a land, they couldn't even speak a word of English and they didn't have a job to come to. I mean, that's a big call. 28 years old, that is a big call to do that. Why? Well, again, as Johnny has already mentioned, uh, it was the time of communism and things were very difficult in that day. Uh, life was very limiting and for many, it was actually quite unjust to live in that space. And they thought that they didn't want to live in that space and they didn't want to raise children within that environment. And I'll tell you what, I am super grateful for that. So they packed up and they came here, made a very, very big call to do that. 
uh, show you a couple of photos. Uh, the first one is uh, the day before they left. They're at the airport there. That's my mum and my dad. Uh, look at that. In the day of black and white, hey? Uh, now we take photos and make them black and white. Well, back then you didn't have a choice. So that's my mum my and my dad and their two mums. And then the next photo is the day that they arrived. So that is my mum and my dad and my brother and my mum's sister and her husband and three very young children. And they came and they moved into a two-bedroom house here in Dandenong. That's a sacrifice. Imagine four kids, very young kids, two, uh, or two couples, you know, four mature adults in a very small place. It's a sacrifice. Why would you do that? Well, because they wanted to leave a legacy. They wanted to make sure that their children's future was going to be more fruitful and beneficial than theirs was. Legacies are left in the wake of large decisions. Your decisions matter, and therefore you matter. You matter. It's not just in the big things that also that leave a legacy. It's also in the smaller things as well. Um, the, the intentional decisions that we make to teach our children or the people that are around us, doesn't have to be your kids, a way of thinking and behaving and a way of being. We can be intentional about the legacy that we leave. We can be intentional about teaching people certain things. Um, I remember about 16 years ago, my dad decided, you're an adult now, let me show you how to change a tire on a car. Very important, just this week came in handy. A screw decided to find its way into my tire and uh, couldn't drive it. And 16 years on, I'm still remembering my dad's words, saying, okay, you know, this is how you prop the car up. This is how you take those screws off. Um, amazing how something so long ago, yet still, it has an impact. It's just a small, everyday, mundane decision, but it has an impact. Uh, there are things in life that are uh, intentional, that we receive because somebody has sat us down and wanted to teach us something, uh, teach us a different way of being. Hey, let me, let me teach you how to uh, be wise with your finances. Let me teach you how to respond to uh, your spouse when they're upset. Let me teach you. you know, there, there are things that we can be intentional about, but I'm sure you know that there are lots of things that are unintentional that get passed down to our children or the people that are around us. There are, there are many things in life that are caught rather than taught. Uh, a few years ago, I came to this sudden realization that what I'd seen dad do for years, I was suddenly doing. Uh, when I was a teenager, a teenager, I would wake up and uh, you know, rub sleepy eyes and start to get ready for, for school. And I would walk in to see my dad on the couch, coffee in one hand, scriptures in the other, making time for the Lord. Years later, years later, I just had this revelation that that's exactly what I do. If you're to walk in, uh, 
on, on and my daughters now do this, uh, you know, talking about the legacy that you leave on. It's, it's amazing how uh, my, my eldest will come in and uh, she will often, if I wake up early enough and if, you know, everything aligns perfectly, uh, she will wake up and she will see coffee in one hand and scriptures in the other, just trying to, to make space for the Lord. And, and a few years ago, I just had this sudden realization, oh my goodness, I am doing exactly what dad did. Now, he never set out to intentionally teach that to me. I just caught it because he was making a simple, everyday, mundane decision to prioritize God. And I caught that. Your big decisions leave a legacy. Your decisions matter. And therefore, you matter. Your little decisions, your decisions that seem insignificant, that you just do, they matter because those who are around you catch that. So my, my question to you then is what are you going to do? What is the legacy that you are going to leave to your children? It doesn't, it doesn't change. Um, I'm still learning things off my parents, my, my dad, my, my father-in-law, I'm still learning, okay, now as a mature person, how do I relate to, to the Lord? How do I make sure I'm committed to, to my spouse, for richer, for poorer, for, for better or worse? Um, I'm still learning. It doesn't, it doesn't change and it never stops. It doesn't even have to be your children. That's the, the thing with having a position of influence in someone's life is that you're always on and you're always modeling something. So my question to you is what are you modeling? What is the legacy that you are going to leave to the people that are around you? Thanks. Awesome. Come on, let's give him a hand. Wasn't that awesome? So good. I do want to share just for a few moments, just before we close, about uh, what Andrew was talking about in terms of legacy. One of the things about the kingdom of God is that God gives us the ability to establish new legacies for our family. And, uh, you know, one of the, it's many examples of this in the Word of God. One of the ones that comes to mind was in my devotions this week when I was reading about Moses. And I wouldn't say that Moses had a great family background. He was abandoned at birth, as we know the story. And there were reasons why he was abandoned at birth. It was actually to save his life, but he did not know his mum and his dad. And the Bible talks about him growing up in Pharaoh's household. It's fascinating to know that he grew up in the very household that actually tried to kill him only a few years earlier. And there he is in this household where he is growing up. And uh, God begins to shape this man's life. And I love uh, what it says in uh, Exodus chapter 3, verse 1 to 15. It talks about this momentous occasion in Moses' life after he runs away from Pharaoh's household. He is now uh, in the wilderness and he's climbing a mountain. And the Bible says that he sees a bush that is burning. And there is this momentous occasion in Moses' life where I believe God is establishing him to produce a new legacy for a new generation. What I love about our God is that he can always turn our past around. No matter what we've been through, no matter what difficulty we have gone through, no matter whether we've had good parents or bad parents, God has the ability to establish new foundations. God has the ability to establish new legacies that we can build from. Come on, who knows that this morning? And so we see this right throughout the Word of God. And this is a wonderful example here in Exodus chapter 3, verse 1 to 15. It says, Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, 
the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within the bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. And so Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight while the bush does not burn. And when the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from the wind the bush and he said, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Don't come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals for the place where you're standing is holy ground. And then he said, I'm the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And at this Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. And the Lord said, I've indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I've heard them crying out because of their slave drivers and I'm concerned about their suffering. So I've come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land. Come on, who knows that our Heavenly Father always wants to bring us into a good and spacious place. A land of flowing with milk and honey. It's the home of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Pezzarites, the Hivites and the Jebusites. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me. And I've seen the way that the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now I will go and I'm sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, I will be with you. And this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you've brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. Now I want you to notice this. Moses says to God, he says, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask, they ask, what is his name? What should I tell them? I find it fascinating that God's people had walked with him for many years, but they had never asked his name. They've never really wanted to know who he was. They'd seen him generationally. Maybe they'd seen him traditionally, like we spoke about just a few moments earlier, but they'd never really understood who he was. And this is now God giving Moses this very powerful revelation. And God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites, I am has sent me to you. And God said to Moses, say to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, has sent me to you. This is my name forever, the name you shall call me from generation to generation. Church, it's the first time that we actually hear the name of God. God, as I said before, was recognized as many different other things, the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, but now we actually hear the name of God. And that name, that name of God, would give Israel a deeper revelation of who God was. That name of God that God mentions about Himself will give Israel a deeper understanding about the awesome power and wonder and beauty of God. That name would give them a revelation of God that they had never, ever experienced before. And God gives that responsibility to Moses, an insecure leader, a leader with a problematic past, a leader who really didn't know his parents, a leader who felt that he couldn't even speak properly, a leader who felt that he was completely out of his depth. God raises him up and says, I choose you to establish a new legacy. And listen, not just for yourself, but I want to use you to give my people a new revelation of who I am. You see, the legacy that God wants to birth out of our life is for future generations to see through us 
the good, the grace, the wonder, and the beauty of God. I love what it says in the book of Psalms. Psalm 78, I think it is, verse 1 to 7. The psalmist writes this, he says, My people hear my teaching. Listen to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth with a parable. I will utter hidden things, things from the old, things that we have heard and known, things our ancestors have taught us. We will not hide them from their descendants. We will tell the next generation the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord, His power and the wonders He has done. He decrees statues for Jacob and He establishes the law for Israel, which He commanded our ancestors to teach their their children so that the next generation would know Him. And even the children yet to be born, they in turn will tell their children They would put their trust in God and would not forget his deeds, but they would keep his commands. Today, we celebrate fatherhood, but there's a greater purpose for today, and that is celebrating the fatherhood of our God, who has changed our lives, and he charges us with the responsibility to use what he has given us to influence the lives of other people around us. And I would say this, the greatest legacy that you can leave It's maybe not your finances, maybe not the name of your household, but the greatest legacy that you can leave is that through your relationship with God, that you and I can be an example to those that come out of us so that they can actually speak about the trustworthy deeds of God because they have seen them in our lives. That is a theme that we are seeing in here today. Proverbs 13 verse 22 says this, a good person, a good person leaves an inheritance for their children's children. But a sinner's wealth is stored up for the righteous. I think there's a greater inheritance when it, in relation to money and houses and things like that. The greatest inheritance is that you can actually leave a spiritual inheritance that your children can actually get hold of. You know, my dad was the one who taught me how to pray. Very similar story. You know, many times I'd get up at night, I'd go to get a drink of water, and at three o'clock in the morning, I'd see my dad praying. My dad has been an avid prayer, prayer warrior for many, many years. He's never preached in the largest pulpits of the world. He Always wanted to be in ministry, but it kind of never, ever opened up for him. He would often tell me stories. He'd save up his pension and he'd go to Africa and start preaching, you know, to the villages over there. And he'd see hundreds of people get saved. And then he'd come back and he'd save up a bit more pension money. He was telling me this story many years ago that I never forgot. He said, you know, when I arrived there, he said, they picked me up in a car and the car broke down halfway through and we're driving, I think, three, 400 kilometers to the next town. And so all the forward gears broke down. So what did we do? I said, what'd you do, dad? Did you turn back? He said, no, we drove in reverse for 400 kilometers. (laughs) Only my dad would do something like that. But I learned my tenacity when it came to going after the things of God from my dad. But let me say this, my dad wasn't the only one who had influenced my life. I remember my boss many years ago, my first boss that I ever had, taught me how to be organized. Uh, Pastor Allen taught me the value of wisdom in ministry. My Baptist youth pastor taught me how to pursue the presence of God. The Apostle Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 4, verse 14 to 16. I'm writing this not to shame you, but to warn you as dear children that even though You had 10,000 guardians in Christ. You do not have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus, I became your father through the gospel. There I urge you to imitate me. I want to say this to us this morning. There is a shift at some stage that happens in our life that we begin to realize we just don't exist for ourselves, but we actually exist to be an example to other people. That it's not just about our needs and making sure that we get fulfilled and making sure that we get blessed and making sure that everything lines up for us 
but there is a shift that happens in our own lives when we get a revelation of Jesus that we begin to understand that it's not just about what God provides for me, but God wants me, me as a child of God, to leave a legacy and to be an example for the next generation that are going to come through. And I love the fact that my dad had some influence in my life, but I praise God for all the other men and women of God that just spoke life and blessing and favor into my life, where the world would put me down. It was in the house of God that I saw the encouragement of people that actually believed in the call and the purpose of God for my life. Church, that is what's powerful about this church family. The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. A multi-generational God, understanding that in the family of God, we can draw so much inspiration. And really, that was charged to Moses. Moses wasn't just a deliverer. Moses was charged with the responsibility to give the Israelites a new revelation about who God was. And what's interesting, they never asked the name of God prior to that point. And now Moses says, I'm going to lead you to a deeper, and we see this, we see Moses on the mountain, seeing the back of God. We see these wonderful, intimate moments of Moses desiring the presence of God. The Bible says this, in the cloud by day and the fire by night, that Moses comes to God and he says, we will not go any further unless your presence does not go with us. He was a man that was so hungry for the presence of God. He'd already delivered them. They were already free, but freedom wasn't enough. They wanted the presence of God in their life. Let me say this to you today. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, yes, He has set you free. Yet He's broken the power of the enemy over your life. But you know what? There is so much more. And the more is the presence of God. And when you pursue that in your own life, when you put God first, when you continually surrender your desire for the things of God, you are an example to others the people that just don't want tasteless religion, but they actually want to see someone who has a heart after the things of God. That's the generation that I believe God is wanting us to raise as a church. Come on, who knows that we don't want to be a dead church. We don't want to be a religious church. We just don't want to have the outward form, but a heart of going after the things of God. So let me encourage you with that this morning. Can I just say this? If you weren't here on Friday night, Pastor Alan Mai preached one of the best sermons I've ever heard on fatherhood. It was amazing. He took that scripture out of the Ten Commandments, honour your father and your mother. And he preached about what honour actually is. It is phenomenal. Let me encourage you to actually get that. It's just going to help you. If you've had a bad background, maybe with your dad, it's just going to help you just kind of bring new meaning to that and find out where that actually fits in your world. Our Heavenly Father loves us. He cares for us. He wants the best for our lives this morning. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast from Faith Christian Church. To stay up to date, check us out at our website, faithcc.com.au.